that are alive, you are coming with me. What is this bullshit? Good trash genre cast. I love you. I know. Wax on, right hand. Wax off, left hand. I have come here to chew bubblegum and kick ass. And I'm all out of bubblegum. Hello, everybody, and welcome again to the Good Trash Genre Cast, brought to you by GoodTrashMedia.com. We are here gathered around a table to discuss the films that you will never discuss in the course of a film studies class. This week's film is 1987, directed by Paul Verhoeven, starring one Peter Weller. It is the movie RoboCop. I feel like this might actually come up in a film studies. I was going to say, yeah. this is probably definitely going to show up in a film studies course. Yeah, I, I think so, too. It, it definitely could. This but, is, this is kind of like the upper echelons of Good Trash movies, right? Correct. I mean, this is, you know... A key, you know, example of good trash and what we're talking about with the show. Um, but we're also doing this because it is the 30th anniversary of RoboCop, uh, 1987. This uh, satirical masterpiece first reared its head, and so we're going to celebrate it by talking about it. Yeah, there's a. Uh, I know uh, the Alamo Draft House is getting ready to like host a big 30th uh, anniversary screening that Peter Weller is going to be at. There's a whole bunch of stuff going on this year, and. I thought it was only we, we we decided it was only appropriate that we also uh, you know get in on this man let's let's talk about a cultural artifact absolutely and this for me is a dear and nostalgic piece because I grew up with this movie it was yeah. um, an R rated film that was definitely marketed to kids yep. I watched that animated series it's so hard. strange it is so strange well this movie is so not for children and it is so when you go back and look at the marketing it is so clearly that they want. It's so clear that they want kids to watch it. Well, it's crazy. It's also like Terminator 2, which was yeah. hugely marketed towards kids because you can sell those action figures. Yeah, and man. that's a huge part of that because yeah. RoboCop action figures are cool. They are. Terminator yeah. action figures were cool. And I, maybe we'll talk about this later, but I think what you see with RoboCop and Terminator 2 Judgment Day is you know, movies that make a whole fuck ton of money that are weird, violent genre films. I think right there you have the seeds planted of what we have now, right? Of genre mm-hmm. film taking over mass culture. And I got to tell you guys, I need to look it up because I had a, uh, a a children's meal toy. I don't know if it was a Happy Meal or a Hardee's meal or a Burger King meal or whatever. So that's what I need to find out. And I had a wind-up Ed 209 when I was a kid that was just so much fun. Honestly, what I'm really reeling from more about that statement is not the existence of the toy, but that in the late 80s, uh, Carl's Jr.'s were Hardee's in Oklahoma. I forgot about that. Oh, uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. It was Hardee's then, yeah. Yeah, yeah. I remember. Because they had that cool Ghostbusters tooth thing that I really, really they wanted. Were, yeah, they were still Hardys when I was a little kid. And, and, and then it was like it was causing kids to die for some reason. They were swallowing parts of Wait, it. And they had to just ooh, get to, Yeah, like ooh. I was trying really hard to get to a Hardys and get it. And then it was like all over the news. And like oh, no. all over, I don't remember what it was doing, but I remember X-rayed pictures of children's bodies and bones and parts of the toy. <laughs> and it was not good. Oh, my it's God. Always, it's so bad. It's always funny to me when any fast food joint that's not McDonald's or Burger King has a Happy Meal. Because usually they get, like, the crappy, like, leftover licensing of, like, things nobody wants. Mm-hmm. Or, like, they just have terrible stuff and nobody's going to want it anyway. Like, Subway is one I think about. Wendy's. Uh, uh, here's a great one. Uh, for X-Men colon Apocalypse, they did a tie-in with White Castle. <laughs> yeah, I know. Why would what? you also go with a regional restaurant? Like, because nobody cares about your movie. 
That's true. Fair enough. But anyway, uh, thank you for <laughs> indulging me that little trip down memory lane. I think we do need to you identify know, these well, voices. Well, you know what that was, Dustin? What was that? That was an example of corporate malfeasance. That was indeed. I think uh, the irony of uh, Robocop becoming a giant commercial success and launching a line of uh, toys, action figures, and other uh, memorabilia is uh, quite funny. A key demonstration of the sublime object of ideology. It might come up later. But nonetheless, let's introduce ourselves. Let's, 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 let's let the dear listener know who's talking to them. Who are you to my left, sir? My name is Dalton Stewart, and you're going to listen to me, and you have 20 seconds to comply. Okay. All right. <laughs> sir, across the room, who are you? I am Arthur Gordon, and dead or alive, you're listening to me. That's very, very good. My name is Dustin Sells, and you mind if I zip this up? I'm going to keep on moving right along. Mm, I'd buy that for a dollar. That's <laughs> <laughs> all it costs. Moving on, uh, we're going to be talking, <laughs> 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 be talking RoboCop, all things RoboCop. But now, is this a 30-year-old movie? But I'm going to go ahead and give the same disclaimer that I always give. This is an analysis show, not a review show. And what that therefore then means is that when you are listening to our pod information coming into your ears, we are going to have spoilers in our analysis. But we're going to give a brief reprieve from all things spoilerific. For the first few moments of the show, we'll have a uh, brief synopsis from the voice of the cinema. And then we'll have our uh, thumbs up, thumbs down reviews. And those will be spoiler free. Then we will move into our gameplay, which might involve a mild spoiler of this film or other films in its orbit. They're like satellites traveling around the gigantic largesse of that which is RoboCop. And then after that, we get down to business. There'll be a little musical cue, so you know it's business time. And once we get down to business, we have nothing on but our business socks, and we give nothing but analysis full of spoilers. You have been warned. So, without any further ado, Mr. Arthur Gordon, voice of the cinema... Let's hear that analysis. Let's hear that synopsis. Not an analysis. It's a synopsis. Don't tell me what to do. No. <laughs> In a dystopic and crime-ridden Detroit, a terminally wounded cop returns to the force as a powerful cyborg haunted by submerged memories. It's like there's a ghost in the machine or something there. Hey, whoa, hey, there you go. All right, so that is the movie RoboCop. Well, we watched it, and uh, we've all seen this film before. So the curiosity that I have in terms of your thumbs up, thumbs down reviews is how well does it hold up, and what was your viewing experience of that film? I go to you first, Mr. Arthur Gordon. What say you thumbs up, thumbs down in regard to one cop of Robos? Uh, it's definitely a thumbs up. I, I enjoy it quite a bit. And it's interesting because I'd read some other reviews this week that were more recent, and I don't know if they these people were like first time watchers or what, or they hadn't watched it in a long time. Uh, but they were they really didn't enjoy the movie, and it seems like they couldn't get past certain aspects that I'm willing to forgive, mainly uh, the special effects, which haven't aged well, um, and that's fair. I mean, the stop motion stuff, the matte stuff that they're doing, it does look rough in pieces. Uh, Ed Two Hundred Nine is really cool, but he's also kind of funny because he's animated miniature half the time. And it's, he's cute, uh, and I think that's part of the satire. But uh, Oh, he's the cutest mean robot. He is. I love him. When he falls on his he back is. down the stairs, it's, it's so the greatest cute. thing. It's so cute. It is. He's like a little turtle that can't he, get over it. He's so adorable. Um, that, that's what I did to him all the time with my little uh, wind-up action figure. Just put him on his back. Yeah, on his back and the leg spins, yeah, all the time. And I made the little velociraptor noises the whole time. <laughs> uh, but I, I, I think this movie is so well-written. And it's so well done. And there's some bad dialogue here and there. Whatever. There's some over the top performances. Whatever. Mm -hmm. It's a. It's a. That is a sign of the times. I think with this type of movie and where it is in history. Uh, but the satire, the social commentary, the social critique is so on point, and it's still so socially relevant. Uh, again, and this unfortunately, is, unfortunately, yes. But I, I feel like if you had 
you've done like some kind of unofficial marathon over the last few weeks of talking about you know twenty year old movies or more uh, that still resonate socially today with what we're you know dealing with as far as you know uh, economics and you know authoritarianism things like that and so I think this still resonates today and I'm willing to partially because I've grown up with the movie uh, I you know I definitely remember the the inner leg holster which is still the coolest thing to me i think it's so cool it is by far one of the dopest like just tiny character yeah things that i, I think an action movie's ever done it's yeah. just a neat little thing it's, it's per- of course he's gonna put the gun in his leg it's so great yeah uh, I, well and the three shot burst machine gun pistol you know, yeah the, the, the burst beretta thing that he has it's yeah. so cool i also love that he's got the uh, extendable claw middle finger thing going on and in one of the sequels i always remember the scene he uses that i think and maybe he does it in this one too but yeah. he does it to uh, unlock the, the police database yeah, yeah i think i've always it's always stuck in my head and so this is a movie that's captivated me it's always been in my mind and so I'm, I think I'm able to forgive a lot of those mm-hmm. neg- negatives. Um, but overall, I, th- I think it's still just so relevant and so uh, in saying things that are so important that it's, it's definitely worth talking about. It definitely should stay in the conversation. Very, very good. I appreciate that, Mr. Arthur Gordon. Mr. Dalton Stewart, do you like this movie? And what was your experience on the rewatch? I do. Um, I didn't grow up with it like you guys did. I mean, I definitely remember seeing bits and pieces of RoboCop. I don't think I saw RoboCop from start to finish until I was 19, 20. Uh, I was definitely in college. The first time I watched it start to finish. Um, everything Arthur said is 100% accurate. I feel like the problem that the film does have that might almost be insurmountable is some kind of weird pacing issues. It is very much paced like a late 80s action movie. Um, and sometimes the, that can be awesome and sometimes it can be less awesome. Something it does that I think works really well, and it's the problem that the uh, the, the remake to this film had, which uh, Dustin pointed out before we got on air. You guys actually have talked about it. I was not there, but uh, you, uh, Dustin, Arthur, and uh, Caleb Masters, um, who is uh, still working right now on um, his Cast Beyond the Wall podcast to cover Game of Thrones, you guys went to a press screener uh, back before the uh, GoodTrashMedia.com days, before the Back to the Movies days. You guys just dropped a bonus episode talking about the RoboCop remake, and I think... We hated it. Yeah, you did. And uh, as we I recall, hard. I don't care for that movie either. Uh, but I think the one of the biggest problems that film has that it didn't learn from this is that part of what makes RoboCop work as a character is the mystification of RoboCop. And I think the remake kind of demystifies him, and it makes him way less interesting. Um the the RoboCop of the remake has way more there's never a question of whether or not Patrick Murphy is still alive inside of RoboCop in the remake. In this film, it's really never clear how much of Pat Murphy is left. You know what I mean? And that I think to me that is one of the strengths of the film, and it's one of my favorite aspects of the film, is the uncertainty, even at the end of the film, how much ego is still there. How how much human is still in that robot. Um, cause it doesn't seem to be a whole lot. Um, RoboCop and Patrick Murphy are two different people. Uh, and the remake kind of whiffed that and tried to do something different with it. And I, I think how bad that movie is shows how much keeping that, that veil of mystery and, uh, in front of the audience's eyes. I think, I think the remake shows what works so well about that. Um, it is kind of interesting that having a very bad version of the story kind of does help elevate it. helps you see what, what this movie gets right. Uh, but I, I don't think I love it as much as you do, Arthur. I, I think I got a little bored a couple of times just purely through, again, pacing. 
Um, it, it definitely does this, the thing that a lot of 80s – it made me think of Batman, Tim Burton's Batman. Because this movie is uh, – the, the protagonists are ostensibly the villains, which is kind of a fun choice, right? I mean, that's kind of the same case with Tim Burton's Batman. The Joker is the protagonist of that movie uh, for all intents and purposes. He gets more screen time than Batman. That's for damn sure. Um, and I, I, I think you could probably between uh, Farrar, Michael Ironsides, and uh, – Michael Ironsides. Um, God, Red Foreman. Smith, Kurtwood Smith, Smith. Kurtwood Smith, thank you. Uh, I, I think between Kurtwood Smith, uh, Miguel Farrar, and um, the other corporate suit, the three of them combined definitely have more screen time yeah. um, by a lot than Peter Weller does. Uh, and that's probably in no small part because it was so damn difficult to shoot that costume. Um, I, I will say that that is simultaneously a strength and weakness of the film. The costume is so good, yeah, but you can tell it is fucking impossible for them to shoot action scenes with that yeah. thing. They could not figure out how to shoot action scenes with that suit. Uh, and they got really excited about being able to use computers to make action scenes happen in the RoboCop remake. And I think that really underscores part of what works so well about this movie is it is ostensibly an action film. It really isn't paced like an action film. It, and that's kind of why I think so many 80s action movies, as I mentioned, you know, they all kind of have a similar pacing. I think that's why some of them do age really well is they're not paced like we pace action movies anymore there, there's not like a, a quick succession of fights and shootouts and car chases there's maybe two or three really big ones and they come in weird places uh and sometimes that can really help a movie have legs and sometimes it can really make a movie hard to watch uh going forward in history so i'm still kind of up in the air on where i fall in robocop i don't know uh, i'm gonna go ahead and just a little give you a little spoily I don't know if this is going to end up on the show for the trash or not before the time we get to the end of this episode. But I will say I think it is a very important movie, and I do like it quite a bit. I just feel like it's not as fun to watch as I remember it being. All right. Well, there you go. Thank you very much for Which that. Which is fine. Not every movie has to be fun to watch, no. I feel like I should say. But when a movie is called RoboCop, it should be fun. Yeah. Well, that's fair. Um, I had fun watching the movie. So um, in a contradiction uh, of opinion there, I did enjoy the film. Dustin, i got to jump in real quick. Okay. Uh, I realize I've been saying Patrick Murphy. His name is Alex Murphy. Uh, I uh, made his name more Irish because I used to know a guy named Pat Murphy. Ah, uh, there you go. Uh, so sorry for that. Uh, I'm, I'm real dumb. It's Alex J. Murphy. Um, I'm, I'm a dummy. That's okay. Uh, so before people start freaking out and start tweeting at us, we know I fucked up. Okay. Well, yes. We well. Okay. Normally we do. <laughs> yeah, that's fair. <laughs> it, it, it's it's usually quite obvious. Uh, so yeah, I liked it. It's fun. It, it's still a movie that I, is near and dear to my heart in in terms of just my growing up and my nostalgia. I think Peter Weller is a better actor than this film uh, gives him an opportunity to be. Mm-hmm. And, I agree with that. And especially um, as Alex Murphy in the first uh, third of the film before he gets RoboCopped, um, then it's different. You know, he's he's doing something very very different that is. Uh, wooden but it is also uh doing something where it elicits empathy in a way that i think is pretty amazing uh so i really really enjoyed that i love this score i love that music it's good so much it's just it is a absolute home run in terms of that i don't have a problem with pacing uh, but i do have a problem with some of the heavies Uh, i I like them a lot but especially our one african-american heavy in the beret it's a Uh, it's it's more than a little bit racist yeah yeah, and so I'm, I'm troubled by that. I mean, we're we're doing '80s, you know, African American gangster. This is what we need to do. And uh, there are great, 
you know, vile stereotypes that are being drunk from uh, a well of which are being drunk from. And that's ugh, I feel a little I feel icky about that. I do love the cameo by the Toxic Avenger uh, that happens. <laughs> Uh, because it is so disturbing. This movie is so violent. I can't yeah. believe we haven't really talked about that yet. This is... Th- I, I would be shocked if a studio put out a movie this violent Juiciest today. squibs ever. It is so, so graphic in a way that is kind of amazing that I love. Well, you know, it was initially rated X. And yeah. uh, I feel that Verhoeven just cut enough to like slim it down just to the R. Like... Flirting with that line to be R. Well, there's a cut that I noticed uh, in terms of that, when which uh, when RoboCop stabs uh, the the chief bad Kurt, guy. Yeah, there's a real quick cutaway. Cutaway and stabs him in the neck with his uh, little middle finger spike. His, his, his data spike. His data spike. It's uh, <laughs> a weird term. Yeah, that's uh, a thing. Okay, uh, but he does that, and then there is like this great gout of blood that just falls on his breastplate. That is insane. I mean, it's just like somebody just took a. a, a a bucket of blood and just dumped it on his chest, you know, for the shot somewhere off camera. And, and it the, is the cut does not match very cleanly. And um, I think it might be because there was a much more graphic penetration, for lack of a better word. Um, no, that's a good word for it. <laughs> I mean, that is exactly what it is. <laughs> uh, so yeah, that is what it is. And and you know, I think there's a definitely some issues uh, with regard to the treatment of women in the film. Uh, and I, I like uh, Annie. What is her last name? Annie Annie Wilkes Oakley Oakley Annie Oakley is it Wilkes Wilkes I think it's Wilkes Wilkes feels right uh, I I like her but she is again it's Lewis Annie Lewis Annie Wilkes is from Misery right Maybe that's true Maybe that's what I'm doing Nancy Allen I don't know what I'm the, doing Nancy Allen's the actress Oh okay Well I don't Well, Nancy Allen What she's doing I think is fine And she's definitely Kicking some real heavy tail There at the opening Introduction And Verhoeven Intended her to be Sort of a gender neutral Sort of casting That's why her hair is short And those kind of things But she still just serves To be rescued by Robocop uh, She serves to fail In rescuing Robocop And then every other Female character Is simply just a damsel In distress Or you know those sort of virgin harlot kind of uh, standard tropes, and that's awful. Well, and I mean, yeah, you look at any film in Paul Verhoeven's filmography, you're going his gender politics are exceptionally complicated. Yeah, um, sometimes they are they they lean a little bit more woke, and sometimes they lean a little bit less. And this is one of those lessers. I would agree with that. Yeah, no. I haven't seen L. That kind of does seem to be the the culmination of the gender politics in his filmmaking. And that's real complicated. And that's kind of what I've heard. <laughs> Part of why I haven't seen it. I don't know if I'm ready for it. Uh, yeah. Okay. Well, enough said about that. Uh, we're we're, we're going to move on. But, I, yeah, I like the movie. It's a lot of fun. And it's definitely uh, a bit of nostalgia for me that I greatly appreciate. So there you go, dear listener. You hear our biases, uh, whatever they are. Uh, you decide what the actual verdict of those biases actually turns out to be. Mostly, bro. Yeah, it's like, all right. Um, so that's what we're saying at this point uh, regarding this film. But we're having this conversation right now in Dalton's living room. We're going to be having these kind of conversations about movies all the time. Anyway, the reason why we podcast them into the pod webs is so that we can have a conversation with you all. And we do that via those magical means of social media. Dalton, say words about social media. Well, Dustin, you could find the Good Trash Media Network all over the interwebs. You can find us on Facebook at facebook.com forward slash GTM. You can find us on Twitter at good underscore trash. Um, we have, those are the ones that we keep up with the most. Uh, so let's be honest, maybe just at those two places on the internet. Uh, but you can also uh, always go to goodtrashmedia.com for all things good trash. Uh, and if you want to buy it for a dollar, you can go to Patreon. We don't really update it right now. So you are just giving us money out of the goodness of your heart at this moment. Uh, we might, we'll, we'll work on that at some point. I know we keep saying that. 
uh, it's a lot of work, and uh, sorry. We all have real jobs. We do. Um, but that said, we're we at all those places, and obviously we always appreciate it when you rate, review, and subscribe to whatever show you're listening to uh, through whatever uh, app you're using to listen to it. So please do those things. Uh, you can buy us for a dollar. Thank you. Thank you. Uh, there you go, dear listener. I think now, though, it's time to play the game. Time to play the game. Time to play the game. <laughs> and we're back with our favorite cinematic super cops. Well, that's right. Favorite cinematic super cops brought to you by a RoboCop. RoboCop. It doesn't get much more super than putting Alex J. Murphy inside of a robot. A ro- I got the name right this time. I'm so proud of you. So, Dustin, uh, go ahead and kick us off. You never get to start. Who, I do never What's, get what's to one start. of your favorite Supercops? One of my favorite Supercops, and I don't actually have a first name for the character, but I do know the actor. Uh, the film is The One, starring one Jet Li, and I love that Bagua Jean Nobody perform- remembers that movie except for you. I know, but I still love it so much. And I don't. Does he have a name in that movie? I'm sure he does. He's they, a lot well, of fun. They all have the same name. That's true. But um, I forget what it is. You know who else is a Supercop in that movie? Who's that? Jay. Jason Statham. Oh, Jason Statham is a super cop. Yeah, he's, he's the guy that goes to warn uh, regular Jet Li that evil Jet Li is coming to get him. Right, which is never something you want to have happen. No, but, mean, if, but if you find out that an evil version of yourself is gunning for you, you want Jason Statham to tell you about it. I think so. Yeah, absolutely. And okay. then help him, have him help you kill him immediately. Yeah, of course. Yeah, that's exactly That's a good you, pick. I like that. So what, what about it works for you? Is it just that 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 martial arts that kind of more I, soft I, martial arts performance? That's well, more like, of a tai chi sort of thing. Yeah, well, it's Bagua Jean is what he's doing, mm-hmm. and I love just uh, the sort of the faithfulness he does to the actual art, which is very very interesting. Versus uh, Shing Yi, which is what the evil Jet Li does. This is kind of some kung fu nerdery is going to happen right now. But Bagua Jean goes around in a circle. Generally, it's big arcs and movements like that, and uh, Shing Yi moves in lines. And so we've got the straight line force of the bad guy versus the sort of distracting, deflecting, evading force uh, that Jet Li uses and that both of the characters in their action sequences make very great use of post-matrix cinematic techniques that really just plays it. I think it's some of the best cinematic uh, just martial arts you've, th- th- that's out there right now. And so it's one of my favorite movies in general and I just love me that super cop. Well, we're going to stay firmly in uh, Chinese martial arts. Uh, my first pick is uh, Jet Li, not Jet Li, Jackie Chan and Michelle Yeoh in uh, Police Story 3, colon, Super Cop. Super Cop. Uh, where Michelle Yeoh, I think she's credited as Michelle Kahn in that film. But uh, I'm specifically thinking of one moment in particular. There's a bunch of great fights, a bunch of great stunts in that movie. This is the movie where Michelle Yeoh, yeah, that Michelle Yeoh, jumps a fucking dirt bike onto a moving train. Nice. Not a stunt performer. Michelle Yeoh jumps a, a, a stunt bike onto a moving train. It's one of the coolest things I've ever seen. Uh, go look for it. I mean, it's when you watch, as with all Jackie Chan movies, there's a lot of uh, bloopers of stunts going wrong at the end. And Michelle Yeoh, like, definitely almost died. Like, definitely almost died. I think they only did it twice, but there's one that, like, that they show in the the end of the movie that definitely goes a little wonky. Uh, and it's super scary to watch. She's a bad lady. She's so cool. Uh, and Jackie Chan's no, no schmuck himself, obviously. Um, I mean... He has no ability. Yeah. Uh, so kudos to them. And again, we're, we're talking about real life, like super actors at this point. I mean, these are people who 
were doing their own stunts before it was a cool thing that uh, Tom, Tom Cruise could see he did. Yeah. And, you know, I'm not, I'm not trying to take it away from him. The dude did hang off the side of an airplane. That's pretty, pretty, True story. pretty amazing. <laughs> but I, I think they were doing it kind of down and dirty uh, because they weren't super famous. Nobody cared if they died. Um, and Jackie Chan uh, definitely used that to his advantage. He used the fact that only Chinese audiences were seeing these movies uh, early in his career to do whatever he wanted. Uh, it's only when uh, Western Studios got involved that they were like, you can't do that. We're not going to let you do that. If you die, you're going to cost all of us a lot of money. Um, and that's uh, that's just kind of amazing that uh, he, he didn't have to do it himself, uh, and Michelle Yeoh didn't have to do it herself, and uh, throughout the course of 30 years just kept insisting that uh, everybody, him and everybody else on the stunt team was going to do it all themselves, and I love that. Excellent, excellent. I appreciate that pick very much. Mr. Arthur Gordon, what is your first selection for favorite cinematic super cops? Uh, this one may be a steal from Dustin, I'm not sure, but I'm going to go with Jack Slater from Last Action Hero. Oh, it was not a steal for me, um, but I love it. Who is, uh, I, I love that, that character because obviously Schwarzenegger just kind of spoofing all these characters he did in the 80s and early 90s. I've did a lot of very notable characters. He did. And uh, it's so much fun to see him. And I love that he exists as a super cop, but also in this world where that's the normal. You know, cops can't die. Uh, injuries heal, like with this Wolverine-style mm-hmm. healing factor. I, I think that's so much fun. And I think Schwarzenegger does such a good job in that role of kind of, you know, picking fun at himself and having fun with it and still being Schwarzenegger. Uh, that it's uh, such a good time, and so I really appreciate that one. Excellent, excellent. Now, my next selection is one of those moments in which your superhero is elevated by the prowess of the supervillain in terms of both performance and abilities, but both of these characters. So let me just tell you, I, I think it's a movie from the 90s and maybe the early 2000s. I doubt it, though. I didn't look up the year on this. But tell me if this sounds like something that might turn your crank. What we have is a Boston cop. Mm-hmm. Okay, Irish descent. He's an immigrant from Ireland, and he is a former member of the IRA. He's left all that life, come back across Dustin, the Dustin, here's the thing, man. You've already lost me because at first I was really excited. Oh? Because I was going to be like, oh, he's from Boston? He's from, he's from Beantown, huh? Uh, and then you said he's from Ireland, and now I don't care, but go ahead. Oh, oh really? Yeah. I care less now. Oh, that's too bad. Uh, you had different accents, didn't you, you fucking snake? <laughs> and uh, he, there is a, a former trainer of his, his mentor, who mm-hmm. was in prison in some place in Dublin, you know, in or rather Northern Ireland, I suppose. Probably uh, Belfast, yeah. Yeah, where he's he's being held. And he escapes from prison, comes back across the pond in order to wreak his revenge against this other character. Let me tell you more. What is, the good cop is Jeff Bridges. The bad guy is Tommy Lee Jones. What is this movie? And this movie is all about the use of explosive, improvised, and otherwise, two bombers coming at one another in order to defeat one another. It's called Blown Away, and it is... A ton of fun. Does Tommy Lee Jones do an Irish accent? Oh, he does the entire movie. Is it bad? It's great. Is it like a good accent? It's great. Yeah, it's fantastic. Really? Yeah. Does Jeff Bridges too? At moments, because he's he's been pretty Americanized. When does this take place? Is this Uh, like an eight seventy? Does it take place in the seventies? No, it takes place. uh, It was uh, modern. Yeah, contemporary period for the moment of the film being released. So when did it come out? uh, The nineties. Yeah, I would say mid to mid to late nineties. Mid to late nineties. Here's what's crazy: is Tommy Lee Jones made this movie again. You know that, right? He did a movie called The The Hunted, The Hunter? Hunted. Hunted, just Hunted, yeah, with, um, oh my god, Benicio, uh, Benicio Del, Toro. Del Toro, and I'm trying to remember who directed it. Was uh, it Demi? It's the guy that did The Exorcist. Yeah, it's uh, William Freakin. Freakin, yeah, it yeah. was one of Freakin's late movies, and it's not great, but it's got some really cool foot chases. But it's fun. Yeah, it's about, it's, it's the same movie, though. It's about Tommy Lee Jones 
taught Benicio del Toro how to be, a, you know, killer among men. And uh, Benicio goes rogue. And uh, uh, Tommy Jones was never in the army. He just taught army guys how to, like, track and knife uh, fight. So he's the good guy, though. He's the good guy, though. Yeah. yeah. So it's Tommy Lee Jones made this movie again, like, five, six years later, where oh. he's the good guy. Huh. Interesting. So it's super cool. So is it, is it, a, is it fun, though? It's a good watch? It's so much fun, yeah. I, it's I've a movie never heard I've of watched it. so much when I was a kid, yeah. Huh. I think I checked it out from the library when I was a kid. I remember seeing it. It's been a long time, but I saw it. This is really interesting. I'm going to yeah. have to check this movie yeah, out. There, because he's been in prison so long, he doesn't know there's a band called U2. And there's a moment in which he is introduced to you two while he is gleefully making the components of a bomb. It is one of the – and he is dancing, and he is like his Tommy Lee Jones – Are like, Bono in the edge actually in this movie? No, they are not. Damn it. Uh, but it's Tommy Lee Jones like sort of like almost beginning to channel that Two-Face shtick he does in uh, Batman Ver- – Bat- Forever. Batman Forever, yeah. Uh, in, in that he's, – he's channeling some of that sort of flamboyant, bombastic kind of performance uh, into the – as he's just dancing to the music whilst making this – Well, is, you've, you've seen Under Siege, right? Right. Yeah. 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 He's had that in the chops for a while. Yeah. He's 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 had that. He keeps that locked away. Yeah. He brought it back out, and it's wonderful. But Jeff Bridges is a great cop in this. It's, it's a lot of fun. He knows. I mean, he's he, played a lot of good cops. He can build bombs out of this quick, and that's pretty amazing. That's so cool. So that is my next selection. What is yours, Dalton? Um, my next one. You know what? Oldie but a goodie. Not really oldie. Just one that hasn't come up on the show for a while. It's Carl Urban as Judge Dredd. Uh, in Dread. I mean, yep. yeah, what, what am I going to do? Not bring it up? Yeah. Uh, that was a movie that came out after uh, we started doing the show. And uh, literally the day it came out, I was like, I cannot wait for that movie to hit home media so we can talk about it on the show. Um, it's a movie I still think about all the time. I think it is kind of grossly underrated. Um, it's just so good. It, it knows exactly. It's totally perfect. It, it is one of the few totally perfect movies I can think of off the top of my head. Um, it moves at a great clip. The action scenes are all really good. Carl Urban's great. Lena Headey's great. Um, everyone in that film is just is there to play. They know exactly what movie they're making and has a, just a very good sense of like production design and, uh, and just style. And I love it. I love everything about it. And uh, Judge Dredd truly is one of uh, our, our great super cops um, because, as with some of the best super cops, he's actually a terrible cop. Yeah. Um, which is part of what makes him so interesting. Well, there you go. That's not a movie I love. I mean, Carl Urban's Grumpy Cat impersonation's okay, but whatever. Uh, that's all I've got. Ooh. That's all I've got. That's a, he's just playing Grumpy Cat the whole movie. Anyway, <laughs> Arthur Gordon. I don't like that. don't like that at all, Hotshot. <laughs> what is your next selection? Uh, in many similar ways to uh, Schwarzenegger in Last Action Hero, the next... Uh, pick is a super cop who is paying homage once again to the uh, action films of the 90s and that is nicholas angel of hot fuzz good played pick. by simon yeah, Pegg. very good um pick. because it's so great that he is so good at his job that the police don't want him and they send him off uh, to sleepy little you know farm town and peg is so great but edgar wright is just such a wonderful director and he knows exactly where to put all those homages so that they work so well comically without overshadowing the movie ever yeah yeah and it's one of those things if you haven't seen those movies those those sequences still work yeah you know uh but uh, the the way simon peck plays it it's so fun uh he's you know kind of playing this uh, mirrored version of sean where he's super serious he's overly working uh, he's overly mature and trying so hard uh and i i think it's so fun the way that they uh they play with those tropes and Nicholas Angel is just a great cop, and I, I love him. And he knows, you know, he knows he's right, and he knows something's going on, and he wants to make it right. And I appreciate that about him. I have a question, Arthur. Have you ever fired two guns while jumping through the air? 
Yes. Okay, well, that, that makes the, this conversation is a lot shorter than the conversation in the movie. Never mind. Is there a point on a man's head where if you shoot it, it explodes? That is also true. Yes. That is a fact. Um, if you get stabbed by Father Christmas in the line of duty, you do get a promotion to the armed response unit. Yes. That's just the, that's how the police work in the UK. They've got funny hats. They don't carry guns, by and large. But if you get stabbed by Father Christmas, you get a promotion to the SWAT team. But only when Father Christmas is being played by Peter Jackson. Always. Yes. Okay. Well, that Any was... More, a, yeah, the, yeah. Arthur and I are just kind of gushing guess, over... You guys a had a moment there. Hey, <laughs> we've talked about Hot Fuzz on the show. You can yeah. go listen to that. It's kind of cute. Uh, uh, you got any more picks? There, I right? have one more pick. Um, awesome. This one is, a uh, again, another... It's a science fiction super cop. Nice. Uh, so it does sort of tie in a little bit more closely to our RoboCop. Uh, this is a super cop who had been uh, falsely accused of a crime, sent to prison, but frozen in an ice cube. Oh, baby. And sent to the future to fight Wesley Snipes. Uh, That's right. Demolition yep. Man with uh, one Sylvester Stallone. That uh, movie is bad, but it is so much fun. I just, you know, love it, love it, love it. I, I just love The Demolition Man. Yeah. I was thinking about that movie the other day. I was trying to find it streaming, but it's not. Oh. It would be fun for the show. Stallone. Terrible Judge Dredd. Great Demolition Man. Yes. Ugh. What a, what a film. What a film. What a conservative film. <laughs> what a wonderful film. What a film that hates people who don't like violence. Yes. Ugh, God. Ugh. My final pick, I do have one more as well, is... Uh, you're going to have to forgive me. I've never actually said heard his name said aloud, uh, but it is uh, uh, the character's name is Rama, played by Aiko Uis. I've never heard his name said aloud, but uh, Rama from The Raid, Redemption of the oh, Raid. Oh, The too. Raid, yeah, yeah. Um, man, speaking of, speaking of great fights, we were talking about that earlier. Yeah. Well, mm, that that pinch acts a lot, man. Just just all the fighting, all the all the good fights. Uh, Here's the weird thing about those movies. Uh, the first movie is, without a doubt, a better film, and the second movie, without a doubt, has the better fight scenes. Uh, it's kind of insane. Um, I've tried... I actually just recently rewatched the first one. Holds up super well. Uh, I tried to rewatch the second one probably two years ago. It does not hold up very well. <laughs> I did not like it as much uh, after I saw it in theaters. Uh, so, but man, have you guys seen the second one? I know you've both seen the first one. No. No. There is a fight in a car... That I think you was this. shamelessly stolen yeah. uh, by the the makers of Deadpool. Yeah, um, I, I, I'm sorry, Ryan Reynolds. Y- your guys that uh, you you because let's be real, Ryan Reynolds is the the, the director of that movie. Uh, that's not fair. I shouldn't take that away from the the hardworking team. But that guy helped get the movie off the ground in a big way. And uh, that that uh, that creative team definitely stole that fight scene uh, because it's pretty much the same and it's way better in the raid. I'm sorry, it, it just is better with uh, a smaller budget. There, there's a God's Eye camera shot in that fight scene that is one of the coolest things I've ever seen. So, yeah, uh, Eco, uh, th- I, I think there is something to be said for somebody who's a stunt performer first and, a, um, and an actor second. Um, it's pretty hard to teach somebody who's an actor first um, to fight if they haven't been fighting their entire life. It definitely seems a little bit easier to teach somebody who's been fighting their entire life to act if they're already a little bit charismatic. So... That is my last pick for favorite cinematic super cops. Well, thank you for that, Mr. Dalton Stewart. Mr. Arthur Gordon, get to close us out. What is your favorite cinematic super cop? I'm going to... I, I don't know if this is necessarily a cheat because I think he's more bounder honey than cop, but I think he works in many of the same ways. But it's Deckard from Blade Runner. 
And that's a cop. Yeah. Yeah, he's, okay. he used to work for the LAPD. Definitely. Right? I thought about it. I thought it. so. But uh, Good pick. I, yeah, I think he's good. Uh, Harrison Ford is just so fun. And then we've got the questions, you know, is he, is he not? And I guess we'll probably get the official confirmation on screen uh, and, later and, this but, year. But a, a scant two months. Yeah. Soon. Uh, but, I mean, it's fun. It's, it's you know, iconic film. It's a very good film. It's a lot of fun. It's got that noir thing. So I, I got to say Deckard. That, very good pick. You know, Dalton, we're going to have to make a difficult decision that September, whether or not we're going to go see uh, the uh, Blade Runner together or we're going to see the Flatliners remake reboot together. I think they might come out like within a there weekend of each other. There can be only very one. Very close. I will be seeing both of them on opening <laughs> day. Uh, they're, yeah, they're both coming out around my birthday. Yeah, I'm not, I'm not going to pick. <laughs> no, I'm going to see them both. I'm going to be happy no matter what. Yeah, that's Even exa- if they're both terrible, I'm going to be happy. Yeah, same. One definitely has uh, is less likely to be bad than the other. Well, that was a good time, guys. Uh, I really enjoy all of your picks. Dear listener, we'd love to hear your favorite cinematic super cops. You can let us know that information via those magical means of social media already mentioned in the show. I think now it's time to get down to business. That are alive, you are coming with me. What is this bullshit? Good trash genre cast. I love you. I know. Wax on, right hand. Wax off. Left hand. Run! Run! Get to the I have come here to chew bubblegum and kick ass. And I'm all out of bubblegum. And we're back with some analysis. I'm very excited to talk about this film because I believe it is ripe with analysis there are so many things that we can talk about uh first thing i want to discuss is the big e on the i chart how about that capitalism y'all um does this movie have anything to say about capitalism or what are some things you see in the film itself let's just begin that most broad question how does the film itself tackle the issue of the capitalist system well what i think is fascinating when you go to the journey of robocop and see where he starts obviously it's imminent because we have the police force being taken over by this you know corporate uh you know uh, entity. It's not, you know, a government thing. It is a commercial uh, enterprise that has come in and, you know, really taking, you know, right now we have these private prisons that are being run by corporations. And it's really taking that to the next step where they're actually just going in and running the government, essentially. Um, and so what I, I, what's fascinating to me is that we take RoboCop and he is in pursuit or, or Murphy. It's, he's not RoboCop yet, but he's in pursuit of these villains and they wind up in this factory. It's the ultimate blue-collar place. Oh, yeah, like this decrepit Rust Belt place. Yeah, yeah. and that's, that's where they wind up, in Detroit, which speaks a lot to the city itself. You know, it's already kind of going downhill. Um, but anyway, I think it's fascinating that we take this cop who's already this blue-collar worker, and we take him into this uh, very blue-collar job, speaking to the middle class, and that's where he dies. And then, you know, he becomes the ultimate commodity when his body is repurposed for a product that can be bought and sold and purchased. Uh, and and that in itself, I think, is fascinating that, you know, this movie speaks a lot to that idea of just the human as a commodity. Because even the suits, uh, you know, when the test run of Ed 209 goes down, um, we get uh, one of the, you know, guys in a suit gets killed. And it's nothing. It's just a, oh, well, there's a flaw in the program. It's, back it's to the old drawing yeah, board, yeah, guys. Yeah, exactly. It's back to the drawing board. This is just <laughs> another uh, commodity, another asset that is it's, it's a gain or it's a loss. It's in the black or it's in the red. Uh, human life doesn't matter to anybody uh, as long as there's a buck to be made. And I, I love that the film 
takes us to this ultimate blue-collar place to set us up, follows this kind of blue-collar worker who completely loses itself in the name of a buck, and then we end the movie by coming back to that same factory where he initially uh, loses his life as Murphy uh, before he transitions to RoboCop. And I, I think that's, you know, it's very, it's obviously, like you said, it's the big, the big, I, big E on the I chart, is what you said. Mm-hmm. Uh, but it's also, you know, it's the, it's the most on the nose part of this. But I think it's so fascinating um, that it is so set into a middle class world uh, in these middle class surroundings. And even when we're on the street as well, uh, working with all of that. I, I mean, I think what Verhoeven does so successfully is, uh, I won't even say Verhoeven, I won't give credit to this, I will just say what the film does so successfully is, is show that a, a justice driven by profit is no true justice. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, any any attempt when profit is a consideration, any positive outcome is has perversion to it. There, there is... I think the film would make the argument that there there is no truly just outcome if the outcome is in any way driven by the desire to make money. Uh, and I think the setting of Detroit is perfect because there is no story city that tells the story of America better than Detroit, I really feel like, uh, from – you know the, the the boom of the auto industry to its exceptionally long and fraught racial history to its and really it, its simultaneously more integrated and more segregated uh, populace than, than a lot of other places in the United States. Um, it, it really is kind of a, a great microcosm for a lot of urban social issues. Um, uh, and again, when I say urban, I'm not trying to do that gross thing that white people do where they say urban instead of black. I mean literally like. In the city. Right. Because race in a city is much different than race in a rural area. It just is because people tend to live closer to people of other races and ethnicities in metropolitan areas. Um, And what you see with Michigan uh, or Detroit, Michigan, both in the late 1980s and now, uh, 30 years later with the, the water crisis in Flint to the city going bankrupt about, what, five years ago? I mean, all of these things that are happening show you what happens when a city is driven by making money. Because Detroit is a city built on making automobiles by a man named Henry Ford, who is a bad person, and I will never let anybody tell me that Henry Ford was a good person, because he was not. He was a bad man who only cared about making money. Now, he tried to hide behind taking care of his workers, but when you learn what his workers' living conditions were and what the expectations on them were, were... the degree to which they were forced to take Henry Ford's vision of what being a person meant home with them. That's a bad man. And that model is not sustainable. And you know, it's not sustainable because Detroit declared fucking bankruptcy and poisoned, poisoned a bunch of people. And yes, I know Flint is not Detroit, but it's damn close. I know because I have to go to the Detroit airport a lot. (laughs) I've driven by the Flint exit many times. Um, They're damn close, man. And when you have, uh, it's part of the same, you know, m- uh, metropolitan area. When you have a metropolitan area whose bedrock is making money, and that's that's the thing, it's the clearest example of it. But all metropolitan areas, the bedrock of them is the production of capital, um, and, and I think that that is what makes Detroit such a great city for talking about America's issues. I mean, again, thirty years later, after the release of RoboCop, Catherine Bigelow made Detroit um, about something that happened twenty years before RoboCop came out. We are caught in a cycle forever and for always, uh, and I think Paul Verhoeven knows that uh, because he's seen it. Paul Verhoeven has seen what happens when people get dehumanized because 
spoiler alert, he was a refugee from Nazi-occupied Netherlands. Like, he knows what happens when all people care about is making money. They will do whatever they possibly can to let that happen, including putting a crazy man with a bad mustache in charge or a bad haircut. Take your pick. I don't care. Um, so, yeah, I'm, I'm going to get off my soapbox a little bit and try to stay more academic with it. But my, my point is I think Arthur is absolutely right that this film does such a great job of showing why that's bad. You know, I've just been telling you that it's bad. What this film does is show you that it's bad. I think you make a really good point there, Arthur, is especially the scene early in the film where um, Michael Farrar and... Uh, is it Miguel or Michael? I always forget. Miguel. It is Miguel. Miguel Farrar and um, his other buddy. Um, I forget the character name uh, and the actor name, but they're, they're like newbie that's hanging out with him. He fucking eats it, man, in like a really horrifying way. Yeah. And they don't give a shit. Yeah. They don't care. He was their friend. Yeah. Guys, if I get killed by Ed 209, I would expect a little <laughs> bit more of a reaction uh, from the two of you. Um, it's really sa- it's sad. It's yeah. the, And that's, I think, what works so well about the violence is it is so violent that it's never cool. That is what works about RoboCop's utterly graphic violence. Is it's, never, it's sometimes funny. It's so absurdly violent that it's funny, but it's never cool. And that's a yeah. big distinction to make. Well, you know, I'm so endemic in capitalism that my reaction would be to go through your pockets and look for change. Oh, is that, is that how indoctrinated you've been? <laughs> that's, the, that's the only reaction I would have because, you know, there's something I need to buy for a dollar, which I love those those bits of commercial and uh, this television It's a great program. piece of world building, yeah, right? Yeah, it's just so fantastic. And again, it's showing this idea that everything is for sale. Everyone is for sale. And that we are selling not, you know, uh, people in positions. We're selling units. And there is a fundamental dehumanization that goes on with being part of those sort of industrial, privatized, public service kind of systems. And that's part of the reason why I I think there's something going on a little bit broader, and I want to come back into capitalism, but I I think about the discussions about police violence and those kind of things that we're having right now. And part of what's going on there, even though Murphy slash RoboCop seems to be performing all of their duties well, although I do think excessive force could definitely be levied against the RoboCop. Could be? Uh, Could be. Yeah, would be. Could be? Should be. Should be. Um, my man blows up a fucking gas station. Yeah, it's kind of bad. Um, so there, there, there's all of that going on. But part of the reason why it's happening is because of the external forces of capitalism, yeah. which do dehumanize, which do de-soul the human being. And so there's something like that that's going on as well. And there's a reason why those kind of violences happen in police forces or in uh, 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 the security forces of prisons and places like that, where you begin to be, be so dehumanized that you lose your own humanity and you're able and you're unable to deal humanly with what other, whatever other element you're dealing with. And, of course, the film does, I think, show the dehumanization of the criminal element as well, that they are not human beings at all. It's nice to see sort of leftover cast from uh, Twin Peaks there with Miguel Ferrer and also Ray Wise uh, making a great appearance. And they're all just they're, – they're, they're just stuffed shirts. You know, they're, they're not really human beings. They're not really people. Um, there's only this one humanizing moment where we see our Toxic Avenger moment, and uh, we do begin to feel bad for that Frankenstein monster that's created. But the other thing about capitalism that I think is so insidious that the film does get perhaps by accident is what happens. The reason why RoboCop is able to finally defeat the final villain at the end is because he gets fired yep. in a very Donald Trump-like move. Uh, just I cannot help but think of The Apprentice as I saw this. And since he'd been let go from the company, then he is now legally able to execute justice upon him. His, his programming is not blocking him from... Uh 
doing doing justice. But here is the thing that happens. So what we've done is we've removed this one bad man from the cogs of capitalism that caused all this dehumanization, but we've left the entire system in place. All we have to do is just take care of making sure there aren't a few bad apples ruining the system rather than saying that the system itself is fundamentally broke, it's fundamentally dehumanizing, it's fundamentally wrecking things, and that's where police violence comes into the conversation and also capitalism. Well, and um, maybe it's just because it's Sunday and I'm hotly anticipating the uh, new Game of Thrones or maybe because we were talking about Caleb and his Game of Thrones podcast, but, uh, you know, the work uh, of J- J- George R. R. Martin, George Reggae Rasta Martin, that has been turned into this crazy popular TV show. Um, I've never read the novels, but there's a great moment in, in the, the show that uh, Amelia Clark's character, Daenerys, makes the point that, uh, no, I, I don't, I don't want to fix the wheel. I want to fucking break it. It's a bad wheel. You can't, you can't just keep saying that this works because all it takes is one really bad person to ruin it for everyone. So this is a flawed system. This is a system that does not protect against, does not protect against evil. We have to break it and build a new one. Um, and, and I think that whether on purpose or by accident, uh, I, I think um, the film points it out. And simul- I think the f- film points it out by not pointing it out in a really interesting way. So it might be purely by accident, as you mentioned, that um, the, the, the film makes that larger point that sometimes, no, you have to break the wheel. Yeah, and it, the, the idea, theoretically, it is the sublime object of ideology. It's sublime insofar as that when you encounter the sublime, that's sort of that encounter with nature, and you have no words for it. And then the words you end up having for it is that you have no words. It's too big. And that, that's what we say about some of these corporate capitalistic systems is we look upon them and go, oh, they're so big. They're so complicated. They're so convoluted. And now we'll just acknowledge that they are big ca- and, and convoluted, but we can take care of this little piece. And somehow by leaving this piece in place that the ideology still remains. And so Shavuot Zizek rears his ugly head yet again in terms of our slavo ugly that's not nice uh, okay well okay okay, why not (laughs) okay fair he's kind of weird looking (laughs) well he calls himself grotesque i believe does he really is the actual adjective he uses (laughs) come on (laughs) so he talks (laughs) (laughs) just tighten the retainer man uh okay well there's without an accent slavo zizek just sounds like a nerd <laughs> how I talk to you guys about ideology? I'm kind of a pervert. Let's talk about how I'm a pervert. <laughs> All right. Well, that's the thing that happened. Uh, uh, let's talk about violence. Let's do it because we already did a little bit. Is this movie um, glorifying violence? Is this movie too violent? What's okay? I mean, I think I, I touched on it earlier, right before we got into analysis. Firmly, I, th- I think it is definitely a, a condemnation of violence, and because of how violent it is. Again, it is so graphic to the point that you could not ever take it seriously, and that's what takes it into the realm of satire. Uh, and and I, I think that is much to the film's benefit, because I think if this film is less violent, uh, you have uh, potentially 2013 or 14 RoboCop, whenever that came out. And I, I think you miss the point of the movie by not making it violent to the point of laughter. Uh, yeah, I, and that bringing up the remake is what I was going to do, because there's a moment in there where uh, and Dustin hated this so much and that's why i remember it so well i think uh, because of how much he ragged on it but there's a character in that movie who is being built up to be so dislikable that it garners applause from the audience and it did it garnered cheers from the viewing audience we were with uh, when he is killed by robocop and it's that that violence for the sake of violence uh with the wrong ideology behind it is is harmful the Ed 209 sequence when uh, the, the nameless suit, you know, he, he has a name, but I don't remember it, uh, <laughs> gets slaughtered by this glitch in the system. It, it's it's not cool. There's not, It's harrowing. It, 
there is this comic it's effect to deeply it. Deeply upsetting. There is this com- there's this dark comic effect to it because like, oh, this is not going the way we wanted it to. It, it's so upsetting the only thing you yeah. can do is laugh. Yes. Uh it's but we have no reason to dislike this guy or to cheer for him being murdered. And throughout the movie, anytime I feel like when Robocop is stopping a bad guy, he uses excessive force. Yes. He knocks the guy robbing the uh, liquor store, whatever, through a, through through a, a freezer. Yeah. yeah. But, it, you know, we don't see blood and guts. You know, it's nothing super over the top. And when he stops the rapist. He does shoot him in the balls. But we don't, it's, you know, we don't really see anything too graphic. The former mayor who took uh, City Hall hostage just gets pulled through a wall. Oh, wait, yeah. no, he gets thrown out a window. Never mind. He does but, get thrown out of a window. But those super excessive, bloody, gory, you know, squib moments. I think only happen uh, when the commentary about violence being a negative arises. I think that's a good point. If, yeah, if, uh, if this movie was trying to make violence cool, I think we would have seen uh, the guy when his penis gets shot. I think we would have seen a lot more gore and blood. You know, the guy, the mayor, when he, or the whatever he is, the uh, yeah, politician. Yeah, the former mayor. Yeah. Yeah, thrown out the window. I think we would have seen a lot more gore if we were trying it to been, make it sexy. It would have been crazy violent all the time is what you're I don't saying. think this is trying to sexify or make violence sexy at all. I think it's an interesting point. Yeah, I think so too. And I, I again, come back to the uh, toxic uh, waste moment where this guy is a repugnant human being that we do not like. And that moment is sort of accidental, incidental violence Mm -hmm. that's done upon him. But it's done in a way that you see, again, sort of in a justice sort of sense, this guy's getting what he deserves, but you feel so badly for him. And somehow that bit of sympathy, I think, does sort of uh, mitigate some of the sense of violence in the film. Well, even if we go back to, uh, you know, the Kurtwood Smith character, when he's finally, you know, murdered or killed or whatever. Dispatched. Dispatched. (laughs) It's a great word. Uh, When he's finally dispatched, I... I don't cheer for that moment. Uh, like you said, the amount of gore. It's pretty unpleasant. Level, yeah, it is. It's unsettling. There's nothing to cheer about that moment, the way it's shot, the way it's put together, especially if it's cut, you know, kind of wonky uh, to meet the censors or whatever. Uh, and so for those those reasons, I don't think there's enough. I don't think there's enough evidence here to say it's supporting this kind of glorification of violence. Yeah, I think the uh, the burden of proof is on you if you're going to make the argument that this movie glorifies violence. Um, and I think you have a pretty arduous uphill battle uh, if you're going to try to make that argument. Yeah, I, I tend to agree with that as well. Last thing I want to talk about is Paul Verhoeven's own comments of about a year or two years ago uh, about what he was thinking when he made this film. He was trying to retell the Christ story with RoboCop. So I have two questions. To what extent do you see this Jesus stuff? And the next question is, does it matter that it's there? Does it matter that the director said it's there? Is it a distraction or is it helpful to a conversation about the film? Well, I will say this. Um, it helped me recontextualize a thought that I had. Um, that hadn't occurred to me because I, I, I didn't think about it as a Christ allegory, but I did definitely think about RoboCop as a death of the ego. Uh, and we were just talking, you were just talking about this not that long ago uh, in our analysis. Uh, you mentioned, um, help me out here, help me refine exactly how you phrased it. But Dustin, you did say something to the effect of, uh, you know, capitalism as a system that dehumanizes, right, and takes away the, the humanity. I think that is kind of what makes uh, Alex Murphy as RoboCop interesting is he's no longer Alex Murphy. Uh, he has no ego. He is only programmed to dispense justice. And when he has no ego, when he doesn't care about making money, the people that care about making money can't control him. Yeah. They don't have the ability to control somebody who doesn't give a shit about capital. Uh, and when you don't – and let, let's go ahead and call capital what it is. It's an exertion of power. That's all that it is. Um, when you take away 
RoboCop's when you take away Alex Murphy's ego and make him RoboCop, he has no attachments, right? He you know he has a, a wife and child and he cares a, cared about them and he's still interested in what's going on with them, but he is not interested in them because he wants anything from them. He just wants them to be okay. RoboCop doesn't want anything. He does, he wants for literally nothing. He is uncorruptible, and that is what the death of the ego does. It makes you uncorruptible, and that's, you know, I mean, that's the whole point of any any religion, any philosophical thought, right, is is the to get to the point where all you care about is doing what's best for other people. The only way to make that happen is to not care, not have a want or desire and have no desire to impart your will or power and, you know, flex power upon others or other things to exert your will. Um, so, I, you know what? Fuck it. Verhoeven's onto something, man. Um, I didn't make the Christ connection, but I definitely saw something there in RoboCop as an egoless uh, character driven only by the desire to uh, balance the scales of society. I I, I feel – I don't see the Christ – I mean, I see the basic Christ allegory in death he and resurrection. and comes back, yeah. I, and maybe some imagery. You know, you mentioned walking on the water mm-hmm. a, a little bit ago. Um, but I, I feel like it's – it's not a desire; it's a protocol, and that that that's very. And interesting. I think that's where it is. It, it's if if we're following when I think of the Christ allegory, when I think of a messianic character, it's not a choice. Yeah, it's somebody who has died for the greater good, mm-hmm. and the greater good, the greater good. You all just dropped the ball there. I know we really did. Sorry, um, but uh, you know, it's someone who has you know, it's a sacrifice of you know. Yes, Murphy is killed violently by the you know. There's this violent crucifixion, if you will, uh, in this whatever uh warehouse um but insofar as it's not a great sacrifice for mankind you know as you know aslan or optimus prime what have you Mm -hmm. um and and it's not so much as a a, 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 it is a resurrection in some ways but he's not the same and i think in in that messianic character you have someone who has come back with many of the same traits but they're glorified in a way if you think of Gandalf as the white wizard after mm-hmm. he's returned or, you know, usually there's some new power bestowed upon the hero when he returns from this messianic transformation. Um, and I don't necessarily see that so much as with Robocop because he's for all intents and purposes, a computer who, who has those underlying memories trying to work their way back out. Um, and I think maybe it's on the way to that kind of messianic. He's a benevolent AI. Yeah. yeah, I mean, but it's it's not so much he has this desire to help people. Mm-hmm. You're right; he has died to himself. Yeah. He he doesn't care about money. He yeah. doesn't care but, about. Gain. But you're right; it's not a choice that he made. Yeah, it's, yeah, he's there to serve and protect because that's what he's been programmed to do. And I guess that I would make the argument that RoboCop has been giving this programming because Alex J. Murphy made the choice to put his life on the line for his fellow person, um, and that that's the messianic choice, right? Is the, the that's the heroic act is putting your body on the line for no reason other than it's the right thing to do. Yeah. Um, so maybe that's where it is. I, I think you're right when it get does get, I think it works better as like just kind of a general enlightenment thing. Uh, and, and I think what makes it work so interestingly is that RoboCop is only died to himself because he was forced to. And, and when capital tries to fuck with things that it can't control, it can't control taking away what, when you take away someone's desires, you've taken away their reason to play by your rules. Yeah. And I think it, it shows the arrogance of capitalism and thinking – or it really the arrogance of any system that would presume to enforce its will on, on the people. Yeah. When you take away someone's reason to play by the rules that you've given them, you can't control them. Yeah. And that's what they – I think it's their hubris, just like the hubris of Ed 209. They put live ammunition in a test dummy that isn't fully tested yeah. yet. Something bad's going to happen. Yeah. 
And it's their hubris that causes them, their assumption that their money buys them safety. And I, and I think to go a little bit further, uh, it's I feel like that idea of dying to self and the messianic trope carrying over, there would have been a greater change in the paradigm, the ideology of that Detroit. Yeah. But because Cinecore, whatever it is, this company doesn't mm-hmm. fall, the will isn't broken, as you brought up earlier. Yeah. It stays the same. We're just going to have another hamster in the wheel eventually, uh, probably, who's going to be just as greedy as the one that came before him. And I think what that might speak to is the fact that any real change can't come – I'm not going to say can't. I don't want to speak in an absolute, but it's much harder for there to be a paradigm shift when the new suggested paradigm has come from within the existing paradigm. When, when a system – you're still operating within the same assumptions. No one has said, I reject your premise, and here is a different premise that no one has considered. RoboCop is not an ex- uh, um, a rejection of a flawed premise. It is a better version of a flawed premise. Fair enough, fair enough. For, for me, reading the Christ allegory, I – I think um, authorial intent doesn't matter in this particular instance. No, uh, but I think it can be helpful to contextualize. Well, I, I think there's definitely things he was thinking about, and I think it can definitely, again, connect to some of the imagery, death and resurrection, etc., mm-hmm. uh, that we do see something of a Mary Magdalene kind of uh, you know, uh, service being done by uh, his, his former partner. Mm-hmm. Those kind of those images are there, and I think they're fine that they are there. But I think if you were really going to think about uh, the life and afterlife of Alex Murphy, I, I think uh, – uh, you have to think of something more of a pathetic uh, with a B, bathos, uh, which is a parody, a satirical parody of resurrection, mm. uh, more like that of a, the zombie, really, okay. that, that he is now uh, back from the dead, undead, driven by one set of desires, a desire in this case for justice, as opposed to, you know, eat human flesh or brains or whatever, depending on your zombie movie that you happen to be watching. But he's a justice zombie, it is really what you're dealing with. Robocop is a justice zombie! <laughs> <laughs> oh my god, that's so good! But yeah, I mean the the thing, the the you know the spark that made made him Alex Murphy's gone, and I, I think RoboCop would agree with that because he doesn't. Does he ever say I'm not Alex Murphy? No, no, he doesn't know who he is. That's true. But yep. then once he does, once he realizes that that's you know uh, you can call me RoboCop, and my friends call me. You know, that's true. Murphy. He does say the name's Murphy. I, I don't buy it. Yeah, I think he's a robe. I think he is a computer plugged into dead Alex Murphy's brain that has chosen the best way to be is to be more like Murphy. Well, and, and I think that's a good point. And I think really we get that kind of. I think we've got a guy who knows he's gone beyond a world he can't go back to. Ooh, yeah. Now we're talking. Right. And I and I think it's such a great moment. Is they go back to the factory. He's sitting down and he removes the faceplate, uh-huh. and it's such I think a beautiful moment because that makeup is so good. It's very sad. I, I can't remember yeah. them, but I can feel them. Yeah, yeah such a great line. I, I think that, you that's got really this, sad. He's a ghost of himself. He knows he can't go back, and now he's got to deal with his new protocol that he mm-hmm. can't change. He's still, even though he has an understanding that he was something else. He now lives in this protocol that he can't move back from. So, yeah, it, it is a Christ metaphor insofar as it is steeped in Western civilization and the way in which the biblical narrative has entrenched itself in the way that we tell stories. So there is some connection there, and Verhoeven's not wrong for saying what he says. But I think it is, for the most part, a distraction from what the story is actually doing, the levels on which it's actually working. Yeah. It's, it's a discourse about you know sort of endemic uh, capitalism, and uh, to make it about this sort of death-resurrection narrative is to— it's an interesting sidelight, but it is also to miss the point. I think uh, I, I want to close this out by everything that you both just said really made something occur to me. 
um, I, I want to read um, that final moment where RoboCop says the name's Murphy. I want to read that as a tragedy and not as, as a moment of triumph. Oh. It's a moment of, a, of, of RoboCop realizing that it's not going to get better than when he was Alex Murphy. He just and made he, me immensely sad. I know. Isn't that sad? That's yeah. what Arthur made me sad when, when you said it. That's what, when you were just talking about it, Arthur, that's what made it kind of click for me is that's why it's never going to change because he's not progressing forward as he could. He's regressing to what he knows he can't have. Yeah. He, he's died to his own ego, and instead of accepting what comes next, he's chasing it. He's yeah. trying to hold on to it, even well, though he knows he can't go back to it. The sequence in the house when he goes home, yeah, and he's moving forward trying to get his wife. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Hey, guys, I can't wait to get to Elster instead, and that's all I'm going to say. All righty. Well, there you go. I think that's a good segue into that. There you go, dear listeners. That is our analysis on the film RoboCop 1987 from Paul Verhoeven, starring the great Peter Weller. Without any further ado, let's talk about what we want to do in terms of rendering a verdict for this film, Shell for Trash, Shell for Self, because you're so excited, Dalton. I'm going to let you go first. Well, I'm not going to – I can't throw this movie away. I mean, this conversation we've had shows you that this movie is valuable. I will say it is not my favorite Paul Verhoeven movie, not by a long shot. Fair. What I would watch instead is Total Recall and Starship Troopers. Uh, I think Starship Troopers is the better movie. I think this movie probably has a little bit more timelessness. Uh, I, I think Starship Troopers is about a very – well, no, I think Starship Troopers – touches on something equally as timeless and it just uh wasn't quite as timely uh robocop was super timely because of the late 80s starship troopers is the best movie about a post 9-11 world made before 9-11 happened um it's a movie that speaks more honestly to um the cold war to, to vietnam and uh, the russian engagement in afghanistan that that's what it's actually speaking to um but what it foresaw on accident was an endless global war on an entity that does not play by the same rules as you and therefore cannot be beaten because it operates in a different paradigm than than your uh, nationalistic force, um, which is why it's a beautiful film. Um, and I think Total Recall is a all the things we've been talking about, about identity and memory and what makes a person a person, I think those things are way better in Total Recall. I, I think Total Recall does a way better job of saying, like, what makes you who you are? This movie does a better job of saying, who you are doesn't matter. What matters is, you know, dying to what your own bullshit and trying to help other people. Total Recall says, well, yeah, who you are is also kind of important. And how do you define who you are? Uh, and that's kind of why I prefer those two movies is they're both doing similar things to Total Rec- uh, to RoboCop. And honestly, they, they've just got better action scenes. And I kind of like their messages a little bit. I'm more compelled by their messages, I guess. I don't need another movie to tell me I don't like capitalism. Trust me. I fucking figured it out. I don't care for it. Um, <laughs> what I do need is a movie to remind me that um, violence done under the name of a flag is very often a bad thing. And honestly, is probably more often than not bad. Um, even when it can be justified. So that that's kind of why I lean more towards Starship Troopers and Total Recall because I think they're they're do, uh, Total Recall is a little bit more like weirdly like Buddhist um and uh, you know I, I don't know there's just things I like better about those movies but the movie that I really want to recommend is a movie I literally just saw and that's a ghost story the David Lowry film starring uh Casey Affleck and Rooney Mara and I say starring them, both of them are actually really not in it that much. Um and that is a movie all about holding on to things you know you can't get back. Um, as we were talking about RoboCop, I can't believe I didn't make the connection as I was watching a ghost story this afternoon. Uh, but as we were just talking, Arthur, you said those final moments, you know, where he's trying to hold on, he goes back to the house and he's trying to hold on. I was like, Oh fuck ghost story. Whoa. And I got so excited. Um, because there really is a connection to be made between, uh, 
David Lowry's A Ghost Story, which as of right now is probably one of my five or five to ten favorite movies of the year so far. Um, it really does kind of uh, operate uh, on the same level as RoboCop in that regard, in that regard of trying to hold on to who you were when you know you're a different person and, and holding on to who you used to be is only going to cause you more pain. So th- those are the films that I would watch with RoboCop is uh, some more Paul Verhoeven stuff and uh, this year's uh, one of this year's indie breakouts, A Ghost Story. All righty. Well, thank you very much for that, Mr. Dalton Stewart. Mr. Arthur Gordon, what do you say? Shelf or trash, else or instead? I, I would firmly put it on the shelf. I do appreciate it quite a bit. And I think it uh, it's, uh, you know, we talk about, you know, the idea of uh, nostalgia adding a lot to that. And I think that's part of it. But also I think it does have a lot of very important things to say that are still relevant. Uh, and so I, I would put it on there. And, and I do enjoy Total Recall quite a bit. I do think uh, Total Recall and Starship Troopers, Storm, Storm Starship. I'm Stor- Stormship, uh, Stormship, 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 Stormship Star Troopers, yeah. Stormship Star Troopers <laughs> recalled. Space, Space Troop, uh, tap dance. Uh, I think I, I think they both are a little stronger, you know, uh, visually, and uh, I think they've held up a lot better in those senses. Uh, and I think all three of them, I think they're a perfect trilogy. Uh, uh, they really are. Uh, and so, yeah, I think this joins those other two films on the shelf. Um, but I think for my pairings, I'm going to pick three movies about men who can't go back. Oh, yeah. Into it. Uh, and so the the first one is more just socially he can adjust and go back to the world he knew before, Vietnam. Uh, I believe it was Vietnam, but that is John Rambo. Uh, yeah, and it's, Rambo it's Vietnam. First Blood. Yeah, uh, nice. And so I think, you know, that works well. That's maybe, you know, it's been so long since I've seen it, but that, you know, the idea of glorifying violence may be a little stronger there. Um but John Rambo is such a tragic character. You know, the the government has made him into this killing machine that, you know, he can't go back to society and live normally because he can't cope with it. Mm-hmm. And I think that's fascinating. Uh, the next, uh, maybe another steal from Dustin, I don't know, but it is Alex Proyas' The Crow. No, I wasn't going to pick that, but that's a good selection. Uh, it's a very good pick. I've got to pick along those lines. Um, but, you know, he he also is the death and resurrection who can't go back and get the, you know, he's he's lost his love. And I think that pairs well. And Detroit. Well. And Detroit, yes. There is there is Detroit. Um, the, the great gothic metaphor of America. Um, finally, I'm going to pick a, a, a maybe a lighter uh, choice, uh, but also another cult classic, uh, and that is Sam Raimi's Dark Man. Uh, no, with good Liam pick. Nason, yeah. Uh, yeah. Uh, about also the, operating in a lot of the same areas. Yes. Uh, and it is his non-Batman Batman uh, that he got to make uh, when he was kind of getting bigger. Uh, also, you know, another low budget movie that really works well, but, uh, it's, you know, it's good. I only saw it for the first time a couple of years ago, but I think it works really well. Uh, I think it, you know, it's firing on all cylinders, but it's another guy who can't go back to society because of kind of the elements he's pushed himself to no matter how hard he tries, he can't go back. Those are three really strong picks, Arthur. Uh, yeah. Fucking A, man. That, that, that's a great like programming of, uh, action movies about men who can't go back. Thank you for that. Dustin, very, very well done. Close, take us home, buddy. Okay, I am also going to say shelf. I think it's definitely worthy and worthy of conversation. And apparently the uh, DVD commentaries are pretty awesome. So I don't know. Who's this. on them? Uh, Verhoeven and the screenwriters okay. are on them. And so, and I think maybe there's one with Peter Weller. I would like to hear Peter Weller Do complain you know this, about the costume. You know this movie did get a Criterion release? Really? It, it was really, the, uh, I think the 23rd or 30-something uh, movie on the Criterion, yeah. Huh. So yeah. Well, that was back in the day when they were doing the laser disc stuff, I'm sure. Where they yeah. were just trying to save yeah. movies that might go out of print. Yeah. Yeah. Because yeah. I mean they got Blade Runner on there too. Gotcha. Right. Which is my first pick 
Well done. Uh, and I'm picking Blade Runner because of those questions of what is it that makes the human, the issues of capitalism and dehumanization, questions of violence and how it's distributed efficiently or otherwise. And so there's a whole lot going on there that makes it worthwhile. You know, something I learned recently about the replicants that never occurred to me is that they are basically clones. I always thought they were androids, that they're, they're, they're more like bioorganic. Oh, yeah? Yeah. So I think it makes like the, that world like even – I think somebody told me this, I'm, and I took their word for it. So my, maybe I sound like an idiot right now, but uh, uh, my understanding is that they're not androids. They're like bioorganic androids. So mm. like they're not made out of you know microchips. They're made out of organic gr- grown parts, Yeah, uh, which makes the – I mean just makes it that much more ethically dicey that they exist in that world. Yeah. Yeah, wow. Isn't that gross? That is super gross. Yeah, it's so sad. <laughs> I'm troubled by that. Uh, my, my second film is in terms of just love for Detroit. And uh, I'm going to recommend Ryan Gosling's directorial debut, a film called Lost River. Mm-hmm. And uh, it's an excellent depiction of the city and an interesting conversation to be had. If you had to, those three movies as a triple bill, we're talking about Detroit. We're talking about that decrepitude. We're also talking about uh, humanity and the loss thereof. And you uh, encircled them in the orbit of one RoboCop. I think it would be a good time. And I think you should also go back and check out our It Follows episode where we go into great lengths about Detroit and talking about the city itself and a lot of movies that talk about it. And I would make the argument that you should watch uh, Detroit Rock City because it makes me laugh. (laughs) Okay. (laughs) Have you ever seen that movie? No. It's good. All right. Well, there you go, dear Lister. That's where we get the line, this is how most horror movies start out and most porn. Is that, is that where I it comes think, from? I think that might be from Detroit Rock City, yeah. Oh, they're picking up the hitchhiker on the side of the road? Yeah, yeah. It's been uh, so long since I've yeah, seen it. Yeah, it's Furlong, and then a, it's Ed Furlong, and then a bunch of guys that wouldn't do more stuff until later on. Yeah. But uh, I like that movie quite a bit. Oh, Whoa. shit, Carrie Fisher's in that movie, I think, too. Probably. Yeah. All righty. Well, there you go. Uh, so that is our discussion of the film RoboCop. We encourage you to check it out and uh, have a conversation and share it with us via those means of social media. Next week, we start something special, guys. We're going to start a marathon before another marathon that we always do. The marathon we always do is October, where we do horror movies in October. But before that, we're going to do another marriage, uh, marathon to right a certain wrong. So uh, we took we did a poll on the Twitter. As we mentioned, you can find us on Twitter at gun underscore trash. And we asked the people after we posted our episode, Devil in the Blue Dress, look, we're going to do a Denzel Marathon. How many do you want? And it turns out people will kind of want more than one. Lots uh, of Denzel. But there was still, hey, one marathon's fine, was a pretty strong contingent. So we're going to do one marathon, but it's going to be long as hell. We're going to do a, a, a supersized marathon. We will be doing Denzel movies until October from here on out. So strap the hell in. Uh, it's about to be good. We're gonna... <laughs> is, is this our first heavy hitter? This is our first heavy hitter. <laughs> We're about to talk about the greatest actor of all time, period. Uh, <laughs> and some people may say, seven weeks of Denzel is a lot. And we've done uh, an extended marathon before with horror. Yep. But we, that was playing with one genre. And yep. the great thing about Denzel is he's been across all genres. We're going to hit Literally sci-fi. every genre. We're going to hit comedy. We'll hit action. Uh, we'll hit some drama, I'm sure. Some quasi-horror. Yeah. Uh, was, yeah, certainly noir. Uh, and so... I think there's a lot to play with that we won't kind of get bored and repetitious with this man. Uh, Denzel's so good. Well, because he, he never gets boring. Denzel's yeah. always operating at a level better than you. Yeah. And so uh, we're, I believe, going to kick it off with uh, a certain movie from a, a recently departed director who R.I.P. did great work. So we, uh, we, we, we decided, all right, these are the three easiest Denzel movies to get a hold of. Uh, we're going to do the Manchurian Candidate. We're going to start yeah. with a maligned Denzel movie. We're going to do what we, we think we do best. And we're going to try and elevate something that people don't give a shit about. We're going to talk about Jonathan Demme's uh, Manchurian Candidate remake. Maybe we'll talk about Demme and his career. Uh, 
because we can't just spend the next seven weeks talking about Denzel's career. We could, we, we got to talk about some other stuff in the next well, seven weeks. I, I'm, I'm sure we're going to talk about Fuqua. We're going to talk yeah. about Lee. Mm-hmm. We're going to talk about Scott. We're going to talk about all yeah all of his all of his great teammates. We'll probably talk about um, some of his actors that he frequently teams with. Uh, Don Cheadle, who we talked about, Devil Blue Dress. Um, Ethan Hawke, who he's teamed with in Training Day and uh, Magnuson Seven. So yeah, we're we're going to talk a lot about the people that Denzel chooses to work with, the themes that he chooses to work in. Um, choices he makes as an actor, as a as a figure in in the in black uh, culture and in the black community, choices he makes for himself is like I won't do roles that do this. I will do roles that do this. So yeah, it's going to be really great, and I'm super excited to to have this conversation over the next seven weeks. Cause we, we, he's 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 great. He's a legend. We will be dissecting the last movie star. I think you could make the argument I that he is he point. is the last great movie star. Yeah. So there you go, dear listener. Hashtag A B W D. Always be watching Denzel, and uh, we're going to keep this on going. We're going to keep watching. We're going to keep talking. We'll see you all next time. Thanks for listening to the Good Trash Honorcast. Good Trash Honorcast is a production of GoodTrashMedia.com. For more information on all things Good Trash, go to GoodTrashMedia.com. Our intro music this week is an original by Arthur Gordon featuring the score to Wonder Woman by Junkie XL and Hans Zimmer. Our outro music this week is I Fought the Law by The Clash. The law was, I need